What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting back down with our good friend Chris Stewart from Short Bits. Caught up for the first time since March of last year. Chris and Nadav from Short Bits were actually the last two individuals for the interview series to to have an interview in person. Of course, we've met others uh, in person since March. But uh, not in our, our usual studio. It's usually traveling away. So Chris was one of the last to, to be in studio before all this stuff happened. So it was good to catch up with him. Talked a lot about what's going on at Short Bits. Uh, steel Manning Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Uh, I think this is a, a good episode to, to really push uh, some of the, the, the developments that, that are, people are excited about. Particularly DLCs, Schnorr and Taproot. So... Hope you guys enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. You already know about them, but let me tell you about them. If you don't know about them, they'll help you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats. We're saying sats, 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 Because sats are the standard on the app now. You can DCA in the sats. You can set it and forget it by daily, weekly, bi-weekly. They have a sats back boost now. You go, you shop wherever their boost card is accepted, which is wherever Visa is accepted. And you get some Bitcoin back on that. Uh, they have other boost partners as well. If you just want to go save money at their partner merchants, you can do that easily. Made very easily via the cash card. Uh, what else do we have here? They, you can stack servers of stonks if you so please. I prefer stacking sats, but it's there. The optionality is there. Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers for you freaks. If you want to direct deposit your paychecks into the app. So... Go do all this. If you haven't already, go download the Cash App. And when you do, use the code StackingSats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. And guess what, freaks? We got a new sponsor. We got a fucking shoe deal. We brought Adams onto onto the roster atoms adams is a shoe company making the most comfortable ideal everyday shoe for you freaks they have a low time preference in mind they're building shoes that'll last for quite a while all right their midsole is a custom foam that is designed to cushion your feet giving you unparalleled comfort and a personalized fit freaks i've had a pair for two months i, I tell you i only shill what, what i like i really like these shoes uh one of the Coolest parts about the shoe is it comes in quarter sizes. So you can get a perfect fit and not have to worry about whether you're a size 10 or a 10 and a half. Get a 10.25. All right. Head over to adams.com slash TFTC and check out uh, the check out their shoes and get a free pair of socks at checkout. When you go to adams.com, A-T-O-M-S dot com slash TFTC, you can even pay in Bitcoin upon checkout. They're stacking sats over at Adams. They got low time preference in mind. These shoes, they have elastic shoelaces that you only tie once. I've only ever tied my Adam shoes once, and I can slip them on, and they, they look good. They feel good. Uh, they have, like, microbial copper going through them, so they don't smell. So if you're a smelly feet guy, uh, these are the shoes for you. The socks are in fuego, so if you can take advantage of the adams.com slash TFTC deal and get a free pair of their socks, highly recommend it. Uh, really excited to have these guys on board. So go check it out. 
adams.com slash tftc gonna put the link in the show notes uh yeah thank you to our sponsors and to you freaks i hope you guys enjoyed this episode with chris if you're listening on a podcast on youtube wherever you're listening smash that subscribe button give us a rating a review every little bit helps trying to blow this up in 2021 we got a lot more video content coming out i hope you're liking uh the citadel dispatches last night matt sat down with uh ggn uh croatia's btc they had a an incredible conversation i was able to hop in and out of that over the the multi-hour rip that it was so go check out everything we're doing i'm gonna be putting out more content happy to have adams on the team shout out the cash app enjoy this episode Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Tuesday afternoon. Cold Tuesday at the fireplace on next to me. Gas fireplace. Sorry, James O'Byrne. Uh, sitting down with Chris Stewart again from Short Bits. And we were just reminiscing. The last time Chris and I hopped on the podcast was literally the last in-person interview before all this happened. Chris and Nadav flew into New York uh, when things were getting a little dicey. Oh, how things have changed, Chris. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think this was like March 6th or 7th, just for everybody else uh, having some context, March 6th or 7th of 2020. And uh, me and Nadav, a colleague of mine at Shirt Bits, uh, you know, we were going to do the New York trip, like, you know, go see everybody at BitDevs, uh, do a podcast with Marty, you know, uh, see everybody in New York. And uh, that was like just the time where it was like, really everybody's starting to get a little nervous and it's like looking around at other people uh i may have made a a, a joke in poor taste at BitDevs about uh doing a discrete log contract based uh if i had you know coronavirus at the time uh didn't age well so everybody there in the audience i'm so i'm sorry for that one um but <laughs> hey, uh, life goes on like <laughs> life goes on um so but yeah i mean it's a, like like me and marty were talking about just before it's like you know totally different world we live in now it's uh in, i mean very hard to do things in person currently and just uh, for the historical record i suppose uh we are talking on january 5th of 2021 nine months later uh from when we did our first podcast i guess a lot has changed like i was telling you the days have dragged but the year flew by. I can't believe it's 2021 already. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And just to think, uh, you know, we are still in the middle of the COVID uh, pandemic. And uh, I don't know, vaccines are at least coming out. I, I don't know how you feel about that kind of stuff. But uh, hopefully the end will be near. I'm in no rush to take the vaccine, but if any of you freaks out there want to take it, your body, your choice, you can go do whatever you want. Um, yeah, but go ahead. That's that's probably the the, the right approach to it, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, I guess for everybody out there, uh, maybe in the the back half of 2021 is when I'm 
looking at realistically, hopefully hitting the conference circuit again and getting out and talking to people in person and uh, not having to do as much remote stuff. I don't, do you think that's a pipe dream, Marty, or do you think that's realistic? I think it's realistic. I think, I think people are at a breaking point. The economy is at a breaking point, small business section of the economy, particularly it, things need to like, you need to get back to some sense of normalcy. And I think the data that's coming out uh, from countries all over the world and even from states here in the U S in terms of whether economic lockdowns make sense is starting to, to conclude that they don't really um, a lot of different factors, depending on climate, the, the uh, density of a population you're living in New York, New Jersey, LA, very highly densely populated areas with very unhealthy people. Um, I don't think you need a broad brush lockdown for everybody um, or a lockdown at all. I think we're getting smarter at how to, uh, or at least better data is coming out. I don't know if we're getting smarter, but better data is coming out to, to prove that maybe lockdowns aren't as good of an idea as was initially thought. I think they're terrible ideas. And just from an economics perspective, like complex systems, like a global economy, cannot be turned off and on like a light switch. Yeah, I mean, I I was talking with another colleague of mine at Shirtbits, uh, Ben Carmen, who's been on here before as well. And, uh, you know, he's been traveling for the holidays and seeing family and stuff. And uh, he's mentioned of how we really kind of have different worlds in some sense in, within the United States now. Maybe that always was the case, but, um, you know, he resides in Texas and, you know, coming up here up north uh, just... Uh, you know, for him was a stark contrast to, you know, what um, reality is like in Texas where you can go out and eat and stuff. And like here in Chicago, you know, everything is totally locked down. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's going to change in the next uh, couple months here in Illinois. Anyway, I didn't just for the record, again, I live in Chicago. So that's why I'm, uh, you know, bringing that up. And uh, hopefully, uh, again, on the back half of 2021, that changes. Yeah, no, the stark differences are you don't even have to go. Texas to Chicago, where I am in South Jersey, is relatively extremely lax compared to Philadelphia, which is where I spent a lot of the holidays, where you're still allowed to eat indoors down here, limited capacity, but gyms are still open, where affiliates, complete lockdown as well. Um, you can eat out in the cold, maybe, but uh, that's about it. Go with that bubble life uh, here in Chicago, I guess, is uh, what you can do outside now is, you know, they re they make indoor facilities outside now i guess is the thing to do rather than right. just using the existing indoor facilities so that's what uh that's been my biggest pet peeve over this last year is just the logical inconsistency it's just yeah. there is none whether it be with these arbitrary restrictions allowing you to create indoor facilities outdoor it's still being able to eat there or um what the mainstream media allows you to pay attention to uh, now the the theory that uh, this virus potentially escaped from the lab in Wuhan is is palatable enough for New York Magazine to be writing about it. Where nine months ago you'd be labeled a, a crazy racist conspiracy theorist for even bringing it up. So just the logical inconsistencies they piss me off, and this is why. I focus on Bitcoin because it, <laughs> it provides objective truth in a world full of insanity. Um, and why I like DLC is what you're working on particularly and what we're going to talk about, what we have talked about 
um, the last time you were on this podcast, but you guys, it seems like lockdown life has been good for productivity at short bits. You guys have been putting out a lot of products and blog posts describing future products, but this product actually exists right now, the contract for difference, which is really what I want to talk about first. But um, you guys launched the predictions market, the presidential election bet market, I should say. Um, you and Nicholas, Nicholas Dorier entered in a bet. You won, correct? Yes, I did win. Uh, I guess, depending on who you ask, uh, I suppose that might still be a little bit of a contentious subject. But, January uh, 20th, man. So for, for the, the freaks out there listening, um, just a really high summary, high level summary of like what a discrete log contract or DLC is, is it's a way to do um, bets directly on top of the Bitcoin blockchain based on a real world event. So uh, what Marty's kind of hinting at here is uh, me and Nicholas Dorier, who's a Bitcoin developer over in Japan, uh, we did a bet based on the presidential election of the United States here in 2020. Um, I bet that Joe Biden would win the presidential election and Nicholas bet that Donald Trump would win the presidential election. And, you know, we, we say this a little tongue in cheek because, you know, as of this podcast recording, there's still a segment of the population that will not accept that uh, Donald Trump lost and, you know, course they get a ton of media coverage because you know donald trump sells um if we've learned anything for the last four years is um you know donald trump he sells a uh, media subscription so the media loves uh, talking about him but uh yeah so i mean that that uh, is at a very high level what a dlc is and uh it has a few benefits um compared to just kind of a two of three multi-sig scenario where you have an arbiter uh deciding uh, you know, what the outcome is. Uh, DLCs are a little bit more private, a little bit more scalable on the techno technology side of things. And, uh, you know, also don't require interaction from this third party arbiter, which is a re really nice feature to have too. So um, me and Nicholas, uh, it was around September, I saw maybe it was August, uh, Nicholas sent out a tweet, uh, you know, thinking that the odds of the presidential election were skewed. Donald Trump's much more likely to win than, uh, you know, was reflected in the prediction markets at the time. And he also was looking for a way to uh, enter into a bet uh, without actually having to convert his Bitcoin into United States dollars or one another fiat currency uh, that gambling sites support because he didn't want to uh, lose out on price exposure to Bitcoin for the duration of the bet. And again, uh, just to frame when this setup process was happening was August of 2020. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin price was probably around 10 grand, maybe, you know, a thousand dollars above or below that. But, you know, one of the key parameters that Nicholas wanted in this bet was to be able to, uh, you know, keep this price exposure. And he, you know, retrospectively looks uh, wise in that sense, because Bitcoin, you know, as of the time, I, I think that when the bet was actually settled, you know, Bitcoin was roughly $20,000 a piece. So uh, we got to retain that price exposure to Bitcoin, uh, which was, was a very, is a very nice feature of DLCs. Yeah, it was pulling up the Outcome Observer bot uh, to 
pull up the actual date. So you guys enter the bet on September 2nd. Okay. So with that, the Outcome Observer, which is the Oracle you use, correct? Yes. It's uh, twitter.com slash outcome observer uh, for anyone listening and wants to check this out. So this is how the bet was announced to the world that it had been uh, engaged in. And both parties were willing. Hoot, hoot. Or whoo, whoo. <laughs> as we should say here. Marty's has been giving me good lessons. I will BIP340 sign the result of the 2020 USA presidential election with the following nonce. A string of numbers and letters representing the nonce follows. And then the message will be the SHA-256 hash of Republican underscore win or Democrat underscore win or other. Um, so let's break down what the observer is doing in this situation. Yeah. So uh, the very first thing you need for a discrete log contract or DLC is you need an oracle to, that's willing to attest to the outcome in real life. So uh, a key thing to remember with discrete log contracts is they are not trustless. They are definitely trusting in somebody that they will tell you the correct result at the end of the day. In this case, you know, that Joe Biden won the presidential election. Uh, DLCs are a trust minimized way of uh, executing uh, bets directly on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, so Marty's referencing this tweet here that the Outcome Observer published in uh, September. And uh, now that he's published this tweet, along with some cryptographic information, anybody can use that cryptographic information that he uh, embedded in the tweet and create bets that are predicated on what the Outcome Observer will sign in the future. So that's a, kind of a lot of like technical jargon there. But um, the key thing to remember here is like the powerful concept of DLCs is with a tweet and then a follow-up tweet, uh, you can set up bets for hundreds of millions of dollars possibly, and then settle that exact same uh, bet in a subsequent tweet. And, you know, it's a very compact way to represent this information. Uh, needed to set up these bets. And it's also a very compact way to settle these bets. All, all you've got to do is have access to Twitter, be able to read the outcome observer's tweets and take his signature and paste it into your wallet software and uh, have the wallet software broadcast the correct transaction. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's funny that this was the first bet for this observer too because it really tests the limits of the the trust or not trustless nature but the uh the trusted third party nature of the oracle what was it like having this be the first the first bet um in this particular dlc because obviously a lot of people like you mentioned would argue that um there was some fuckery with the election and that it is still unofficial until uh either or is inaugurated uh, and actually sitting in the White House post January 20th? Well, I mean, I, I actually think it's a great uh, example uh, because we can have discussions like this. It isn't such a, a black and white uh, event that, uh, I mean, I guess, again, depending on who you ask, uh, you know, it isn't such a black and white event. And you do, again, have trust in this third party uh, to broadcast the correct results at the end of the day. Uh, the nice features that DLCs give you is if you want to, you can remain private from the Oracle. So the Oracle can have no idea that you're actually using them. 
Um, in me and Nicholas's, Nicholas's case, uh, we obviously, you know, publicize this and are using it for marketing purposes. But uh, if we didn't want to, or for all we know, other people could have used the Oracle as well. Uh, we would have no way to prove that unless the Oracle, or sorry, the uh, people in the DLC revealed themselves. So it's, it's a very uh, nice feature that DLCs have that you don't see in other kind of Oracle protocols. Uh, so, you know, another, just uh, for uh, argument's sake, let's say that me and Nicholas uh, didn't know about DLCs, never heard they existed. Uh, so me and Nicholas, you know, we're two technical guys. I'm a Bitcoin developer. Nicholas is a Bitcoin developer. Uh, we, we would trust uh, Uncle Marty, of course, to attest to, you know, who won the presidential election. So we, uh, you know, all three of us could get together. Uh, me and Nicholas are like, OK, we're going to bet one Bitcoin on this election. Marty, you are responsible for, you know, telling us at the end of the day what this, uh, you know, what, what the outcome is. And, you know, that 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 would work as well. The, the hard part for you, Marty, is the oracle in this scenario is for everybody that wanted to do this bet. So say if it wasn't just me and Nicholas, but it was, you know, 100 other people, you would have to interact directly with those other 100 people and, you know, send signatures back and forth, sign Bitcoin transactions, you know, a bunch of really low level annoying stuff uh, that you'd have to deal with. Uh, with the DLCs, again, it's, it's, it simplifies a lot of this because it's from the Oracle's perspective, just a broadcast only mechanism. Again, like you can think of Twitter as like a fire hose. You just start spitting out digital signatures and everybody, you know, that follows you on Twitter can see those and uh, use that to uh, settle uh, their bets. So, I mean, that's uh, really, you know, the core feature behind DLCs is, uh, you know, streamlining this process and also building in these kind of accountability uh, measures as well. Yeah, and scalability too, right? You can scale yeah. these types of bets to to the masses. Um, then on top of that, you could create redundancy in the oracles, correct? And have multiple oracles and only... We allow. are... We are working on that uh, as we speak. Uh, Nadav, a, a colleague that I've referenced before at Shared Bits, is actually just beginning to begin the specification process uh, for getting that stuff finalized. Uh, you can probably expect a blog post from us in the next month uh, talking about you know how we executed a multi-oracle outcome. And just uh, for the listeners and. I mean, frankly, you know, since we're seeing a bunch of market turbulence and, you know, number go up, I'm, I'm imagining you have a bunch of new listeners, Marty, that uh, maybe aren't as familiar with uh, Bitcoin and all this technical jargon. So, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Welcome, welcome to this guy that's going to talk in a bunch of very technical terms that you don't understand. I'm, I'm very sorry for everybody. Just, hey, freaks, if you're new to this show, if you're new freaks, welcome. Number one. Number two, it's all very daunting at first but just let it let all these terms these these ideas hover above your mind and just keep getting exposure to them and slowly but surely yeah you'll be able to put them together if i can do it you can too <laughs> um yeah I, that's definitely a feeling that a lot of people feel um you know when they're getting into bitcoin and just for a point of reference i've been you know involved in bitcoin for six or seven years now and there's still things that i feel like i don't fully understand and as the the, the community is also much larger now than 
what it previously was. So there's a lot more content out there. There's a lot more developments out there. And it's really hard to get a picture of the entire uh, world at uh, you know, one point in time. But so what, what Marty is kind of talking about here is uh, instead of just having one oracle that would tell us who won the presidential election, uh, what Marty is hinting at here is maybe you could have two oracles and you could say, well, they both need to say Biden won or they both need to say Trump won. Or if there's a conflict, so one says Trump wins and the other one says Biden wins, well, maybe you just want to refund your money at that point because you're like, well, I don't know. Like, it's obviously in this weird limbo state and like you and your counterparty, which is Nicholas and I, in this example, we could just be like, ah, well, if that actually ends up happening, Nicholas, I really think the best you know, course of action here is just to refund us our initial money. Uh, we'll say, you know, the bet was negated and that's the best way to handle this case. And, you know, it's, it's very important to remember with DLCs, it, these are all custom contracts. You can, you know, finagle them in any way you want, uh, design them in, you know, whatever suits your use case. If, uh, you know, there's certain conditions that you want to think about and have, you know, Bitcoin sent based on that condition. That's really, you know, what the whole point of uh, DLCs is, is, you know, they're incredibly flexible. We've done all sorts of different DLCs at this point. And, uh, you know, it really is kind of a really interesting base technology that I think we're going to see, you know, proliferate in the coming years uh, to, you know, help spread Bitcoin's adoption, frankly. No, I completely agree. I, I think... So for any of you new freaks that are listening now to this, something I say a lot on this podcast is that I believe there's an order of operations to all of this. I believe we can get the decentralized world, the de decentralized financial economy, if you will, brought onto Bitcoin. Uh, people will point to Ethereum and their expressive smart contracts and say, hey, look, they're beating you at it. But... I would argue they're losing in uh, in robustness and decentralization from from a full node perspective. And uh, if they do get a lot of traction from here, it's going to congest their network. It's happening right now. It's happened in the past. They may be too far gone in that regards. But Bitcoin still uh, it hasn't failed at smart contracting capabilities at the protocol level. They exist. Multi-sigs, HTLCs, uh, very rudimentary but smart contracts nonetheless and what you guys are working on short bits is why i write about it so goddamn much because i think <laughs> it's the proper way to go about architecting these solutions which are novel and are something the market frankly wants it's obvious there's demand for these types of products out there it's just what is the order of operations and i believe that uh, scaling these uh, use cases in a smart way via something like discrete log contracts, which allows you to put as little data as possible into the protocol level uh, in a private way. And then if you push that to the Lightning Network, the, the benefits are even even greater. So just, yeah, to, put, and, uh, just to put the context of comparing what you're doing to like an Ethereum or something like that. Well, and, and just to jump in here too, and, and this will kind of switch context a little bit and maybe speak to the, the OGs that are listening. And, uh, um, you know, something I really kind of worry about with Bitcoin is, um, so, you know, 
Bitcoin has really won the battle in terms of the store of value narrative. I think, I mean, I turn on the TV now in the morning and I hear people on CNBC talking about Bitcoin as a store of value. I mean, I think, in my opinion, we've really won that narrative when, uh, you know, the, the talking heads, so to speak, are uh, on TV promoting it for us, which is great. I mean, that's a lot of hard work over the last uh, three or four years from a lot of people in the Bitcoin community to, you know, build that narrative and, I think we're seeing the fruits of that labor uh, paying off right now and, you know, and it's reflected in the price and, you know, that is not an easy feat and it did take a lot. And for the really OGs in the crowd, uh, they may remember a time when that wasn't the narrative. It was, you know, more of a payments narrative. Uh, you know, there was uh, long ago, I guess, at this point, uh, you know, Bitcoin was thought just to be a payment layer rather than store value layer. And that was a popular uh, opinion. Um, I think we've shifted the narrative in the right direction, but, you know, for, again, the OGs out there, it's, uh, that doesn't mean we have to concede the payments narrative, or that doesn't mean we have to concede the, uh, you know, financial settlement narrative to other blockchains. Like we can, uh, you know, we can have the entire pie and that's like kind of what, you know, we're here to talk or I'm here to talk about is, you know, we've got the store value narrative. That'll get us, you know, so far, but we really want to have, you know, more than just store of value happening on Bitcoin. We don't want it to be par parasitic to the store of value narrative, but we can have both at the same time. I don't think it's this uh, zero sum sort of game of like, you can have one or the other. And, uh, you know, as an example, uh, we have the Lightning Network now with Bitcoin. That's kind of the payments uh, layer uh, on top of Bitcoin uh, that you can do fast, cheap, uh, you know, instant payments and they're also more private. I mean, it's really a, a net win and a, a remarkable achievement for everybody working in the Lightning Network community. Um, you know, what we're doing with DLCs is trying to really realize that uh, sort of financial settlement layer uh, using Bitcoin for big trades uh, directly on top of the Bitcoin blockchain and add even more value to Bitcoin because now you're not just using it as a store of value. You're not just using it for payments. You can also use it for speculation directly on top of the Bitcoin blockchain and uh, add even more uh, value to uh, Bitcoin's proposition. And uh, this is like how we start slowly chipping away. So I'm, you know, I'm here to promote that narrative and say, again, it's not like uh, these are parasitic to one another. It's not like you can only be a store of value or it can only be payments or you can only be you know, financial settlement rails, you can, you can do all of the things above, it does take more time. And like you say, you know, you have to have one before you have the other. But, uh, you know, I, it, it is an annoyance to me, I guess you'd say of like, uh, you know, we've got store of value, we've won, like game over, let's just not change anything ever in the future. And, uh, uh, you know, you sit, sit with that. Um, when I think Bitcoin can be so much more, that doesn't mean it can't, you know, do all these things well and you know that's what i i'm passionate about if you can't tell i am as well i think we can get it all too and especially if you use the lightning network like i am an everyday user of the lightning network just through the nature of this podcast uh syndicating it on the sphinx chat being able to receive and get payment streamed to me our sites btc enabled has lightning network enabled via btc pay server we get invoices lightning invoices paid daily uh me paying invoices on something like bitcoin bounty hunt.com to pay for ads in a video game like it works it works today and it does fulfill the payments use case that you described earlier and 
that it's so rudimentary too when you think about it. The Sphinx app is also a chat app that's enabled by the Lightning Network. There's like I'm sure we'll get into the thick of it too, especially talking about your PTLC implementation on Eclair. Like uh, once that is the the common way to open up channels, like the DLC functionality gets gets pushed to the Lightning Network, correct? Yes. So um, that's you know. That, that is the grand vision, uh, and maybe for those that don't know, uh, PTLC stands for uh, Point Time Lock Contract. So it's just a new way to transfer value on the Lightning Network. It replaces an old uh, primitive called HTLC, or Hash Time Locked Contract. And the very high-level uh, reason that they're much more valuable is because you can do math with PTLCs is uh, uh, how you should think about it. And, you know, math is very powerful if people don't know that. And uh, once you have uh, basic mathematical capabilities, uh, it's really amazing what you can do. And uh, my colleagues at Sherbits remind me of that every day. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, <laughs> how does this work? Or how, what is this magic? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it truly is remarkable if you get some simple uh, math primitives in there, what, what you can do with all these like kind of cryptocurrencies and uh, I guess layer two solutions. So um, yeah, we, we've been chipping away at that at Sherbits as well. And, uh, you know, that's, in 2021, I expect that to be a more realistic, uh, you know, thing as we see Taproot rolled out, which is an upgrade to Bitcoin that, uh, you know, should be out in 2021 at some point. Uh, and uh, then, you know, Lightning can really have more capabilities uh, compared to what it has currently. And uh, uh, I, yeah, we're super excited about that. Yeah. And it's so let's talk about the the PLTs. PTLC, excuse me, uh, implementation that you guys have for Eclair. Like, what does it mean? I wrote about it in the end of, towards the end of November. So you build a proof of concept based on Eclair Lightning implementation. Implementation uses, okay, ECDSA adapter signature. So this is what makes it possible. And if Taproot Schnorr is uh, activated, you would, you would use Schnorr straight up, I assume, correct? Yes, yes. So, I mean... The ECDSA adapter signatures, um, for those that uh, are maybe a little less technical, um, they are a way to do some fancy layer two stuff and layer one stuff today on Bitcoin. Um, ECDSA is kind of like the core uh, digital signature algorithm that uh, we use in Bitcoin to you know, verify digital signatures or create digital signatures. Um, all of that crypto stuff is, uh, you know, done with something called ECDSA. Uh, that has some downsides to it. Uh, mainly, uh, it's hard to preserve uh, mathematical operations um, using ECDSA. Uh, and Schnorr gives you a much more cleaner uh, model to do these kind of math things that I'm talking about. And uh, uh, thanks to some, you know, innovation actually, Shortly after we met in March of 2020, uh, um, we've come to realize that some of this stuff can be done with adapter signatures and ECDSA, which is uh, kind of what we're using for DLCs and to get away with a lot of this uh, magic that's happening over there. But just to be clear, um, it's much cleaner with Schnorr. It is, you know, 
much easier to reason about with Schnorr. And, you know, we're, we're very excited for all that stuff to, to come out. Um, with the PTLC stuff on Lightning, uh, we wanted to, you know, kind of realize all of the blog posts that we've written about over the course of 2019, talking about, you know, cool new innovative features that are enabled on the Lightning Network with PTLCs. And, uh, you know, we thought we'd take the step to actually, you know, at least from a proof of concept perspective, like start seeing like what it would actually look like to modify one of the existing Lightning implementations to support point time lock contracts. And uh, uh, Roman, an engineer at Shirtbits, uh, led the effort on that. Uh, we can relay payments back and forth between uh, you know two PTLC enabled nodes uh, spun up uh, on the Lightning network. You can't route, if I remember correctly, you cannot route through a non-PTLC aware node. So that's if you had a, an Alice, Bob, Carol situation where Alice is trying to pay Carol through Bob, uh, if Bob was not aware of PTLCs, he would not be able to uh, you know, route payments between the two. So there is some limitations to this, uh, technical limitations. And uh, you know, in terms of like getting things to be robust so they can be out on like you know the live lightning network and run with high reliability there's still some work to do but uh again we wanted to you know kind of try and push the envelope motivate people make people realize that you know we're at the dawn of the lightning network and uh, there's much to come um as well you know again combining these technologies or composing these technologies like you know lightning and dlcs which we're really interested in but again, are blocked uh, until some changes are made to Bitcoin's base layer. Yeah. That's why I, I said it, my final thought, the news uh, thought of the week last week, we, during on these price runs, don't don't let the price distract you from getting Schnorr Taproot activated because it's going to enable a lot of extremely cool things. Uh, and even beyond like what you're working on, I go, let's say uh, let's, steel man this like uh oh, we just shilling schnorr taproot so that chris can get his products to market uh, uh it's gonna i mean things well i'm on that i'm all for it <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah so i mean schnorr taproot has a bunch of like really interesting features in it um again like the core thing is like really just schnorr itself is you know what i'm really excited about just um again for the simple fact that it gives us math in like this crypto world. Um, so uh, that, that's very powerful. You know, Taproot itself has some privacy enhancing features and uh, it's very interesting to see all this uh, uh, regulation coming out with, uh, you know, that may or may not have effects on different privacy schemes and, you know, what that'll mean for Bitcoin. I think a lot of us uh, OG Bitcoiners, again, for the, the new listeners, we've kind of realized for a while the, uh, the next frontier or the next big battle in Bitcoin will probably be over, you know, privacy enhancing features. I think um, that's not too controversial of a thing to say. Uh, we had a previous, you know, in a, going back to Bitcoin archaeology here, it's like in 2017, there was a very big fight in Bitcoin uh, called the, uh, uh, what is it, Segwit2x and... Uh, the Fork Wars. The Fork Wars, yeah, there we go. The, 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 you've got a better brand for it than I do, but... Uh, you know, there's a lot of contention in the Bitcoin community back then, and we actually ended up fragmenting as a community. And now we have, you know, Bitcoin Cash as a product of that fragmentation. 
Bitcoin SV is a product of that fragmentation. Bitcoin gold is. And like these are all kind of diverging views for what Bitcoin is. And just um, backing up a little bit here, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same behavior when it comes to, you know, enabling privacy enhancing features in Bitcoin where um, some people are against this for whatever reason they don't want to continue with Bitcoin or will try and coerce the Bitcoin brand to uh, be on their chain and say, this is the real Bitcoin. Bitcoin never had privacy from the beginning. Uh, you're the crazy people trying to enable this Bitcoin, you know, privacy enhancing technology. You're changing Satoshi's vision, do I dare say. And, uh, you know, you, you guys are the, the weirdos and the, um, the outcasts, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, it's um, it's it's gonna happen. I mean, the the tremors are already starting to go off as we're seeing through all these announcements, and that's actually like the OCC announcement last night was pretty surprising. Allowing banks to, I uh, was shocked. Right? Were you as shocked about that as I? I mean, Very I was shocked. shocked. Like the adversarial thinker in me is like, uh, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's just like getting you comfortable with banking uh, or storing your Bitcoin with traditional banks. Um, like that's like a stepping stone to lock people in wall, wall off the garden and, and make sure that they can't go back to self custody. But if they're running nodes or sending transactions through nodes, so they could, uh, they could have their node abide by a blacklist. But regardless, Optimist to me is like, wow, this is like the first stepping stone towards Hal Finney's Bitcoin bank vision, which you talk about narratives and quote unquote changing narratives throughout uh, Bitcoin's history. And I like to say the, really the strongest narrative, which I would argue is Hal Finney's Bitcoin bank idea has always been around. He put it on BitcoinTalk.org and well, it hasn't always been around. It's been around for a while. Put it on BitcoinTalk.org, December 30th, 2010. So a you don't less. remember those days, Marty? No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I was drinking way too many beers in college in those days. I was as well. And the loudest, the loudest narrative, which like Bitcoin uses at the protocol level as a payments network, uh, certainly may have been the loudest, but I don't think it was the wisest. And I think the market is proving that over time. You mentioned Bitcoin Cash, BSV, whatever other shit forks there were. The market is pretty handily decided. Yeah, you guys have very little value. Bitcoin, uh, the network that, that prioritizes settlement and uh, node distribution seems to be the winner, at least for now, at this given point in time. Um, but so that like the OCC's announcement last night has a lot of people talking about how can, can we just sum summarize it real quick? Yeah, like, so the OCC, uh, the Office of... Uh, I don't know. Don't ask me. The Office of the Currency... The Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, uh, which Brian Brooks is currently the Comptroller. He is ex-Coinbase. He was their head counsel for for a time. Um, they came out last night seemingly out of nowhere uh, and, and sent a note to the banking industry and similar types of entities giving, quote-unquote, legal clarity on... Um, legal permissibility, excuse me, of certain payments related activities that involve use of new technologies, including the use of independent node verification networks, which is how they describe what Bitcoin is and what Ethereum is and these blockchains. So the OCC 
the office of the comptroller of the currency came out last night and basically said, hey, you banks, you are legally uh, allowed to use blockchains as networks to move money uh, alongside SWIFT, ACH, and Fedwire. So they actually create like just giving the okay as, as blockchains as uh, admissible rails through which to send value within the regulated financial system, which is pretty massive. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be the most like bullish like piece of news. Like maybe I've like heard this entire like kind of you know price run we've had, uh, and it seems to not be getting the play I think it deserves. But uh, I mean, I just again for from all the years of like listening to uh, sort of like stable coin FUD, I guess you'd say, and you know where where does that sit in the like regulatory landscape? You know, if you're a USDC, you're a Tether, um, you've got to be really happy with this ruling because uh, it really starts to have the government. And I mean, even just as I, I think normal day Bitcoiners or crypto people, I think you've got to be really happy with this because it starts like aligning government incentives, I think, more closely to these public blockchains. I'm not going to say they're like directly aligned because I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but um, it is at least warming up to it, I think is maybe a little bit better of a way to put it. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's really encouraging news. Um, going back to like the DLC discussion, like maybe this starts laying the rails for, you know, starting to do settlement of like derivatives, like on the Bitcoin blockchain, like, is that the next step is like, it's okay to do, you know, certain types of contracts directly on the Bitcoin blockchain. And, you know, that obviously is an untested legal hypothesis and, uh, you know, may or may not hold water but i think it's super encouraging that we are seeing regs like this come out yes this particular and that's what i wrote about in the bent today i wrote about this sec announcement and how it's just like so perplexing how uh, uh the lack of continuity between different regulators and different offices within the u.s government the irs calls it one thing treasury calls it another o occ is coming out calling it a rail equivalent to ach and swift there's just a lot of regulatory confusion and regardless of whatever the regulators deem is allowed or not allowed, the technology does have properties that enable it to do certain things. And if you lived in a, in a vacuum where regulators didn't exist and you're just able to uh, think of the possibilities, uh, the types of products that be, can be created by this tech, it's pretty mind blowing. You just mentioned derivatives via DLC. So that's, I think it's a good segue into uh, DLC uh, FD, so the contract for difference uh, that you guys put out last week. Uh, Roman and Adav entered into this contract difference, and it's really cool and really innovative, and is like Bitcoin to its core because you're essentially creating, in my mind, and I know you had some comments because Matt and I discussed this last week on RHR. I pushed back on him because I thought he viewed it. He compared it to the CDO market, which I think was um, was not true because everything's collateralized within the contract. But to describe it in layman's terms, you have two parties in this contract. One is taking a natural long position of Bitcoin. The other is attempting to uh, enter a contract that and stabilize the value in USD terms over the course of that contract. So depending on how the, each puts in a certain amount of sets uh, and depending on the price price of Bitcoin goes up or down, uh, 
each participant in the contract will get allocated sats accordingly. So if the price goes up, the person who's naturally long Bitcoin gets sats from the person who's trying to maintain that value over the course of the contract. Price is going up, you need less sats to lock in $1,100. Um, conversely, if the price is going down, the person who's naturally long is giving sats to the person who's trying to hold value in there. Price goes down, you need more sats to maintain $1,100. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can think of it sort of like a synthetic stable coin. Um, one key distinction, I guess I want to uh, right off the bat here that uh, people confuse DLCs with is d discrete log contracts are not like a new coin. It is, again, a derivatives technology. It's not like tether or usdc or is, bitcoin is or, derivatives even a correct word because you're not getting any leverage exposure right? it has to be fully collateralized well it, it is based on an underlying index or asset or whatever so it's it's not dealing in like whatever it is you're betting on itself it's uh you know it's it's one layer above mm -hmm. so um that i think that's where the, the term comes from and uh um, just, uh, again, it, yeah, it's not a coin. It's not, uh, anything new like that. It is general purpose technology. Like, you know, we're me and Marty are both big time Bitcoin people, but discrete log contracts aren't even like really specific to Bitcoin. Like it's very few things you need, uh, out of your blockchain to execute discrete log contracts on them. And also from the Oracle's perspective, uh, going back to the outcome observer, me and Marty were talking about earlier, um, the information that's on the outcome observers twitter page is nothing specific to bitcoin um we could have just as easily done this bet on zcash bitcoin cash litecoin um any almost any public blockchain the oracle is just totally unaware of like what blockchains being used um so again it is general purpose technology uh, that can be used for a wide variety of items. Like, again, I'm, I'm a big Bitcoin person, you know, uh, we sure bits are big believers in Bitcoin, but you know, it is general purpose cryptocurrency technology. Um, in the case of like the, uh, the contract for difference that we executed, I just like have some notes, like kind of written down here because I want, I want to get the, the numbers right. Uh, on, it was December 17th of 2020, uh, we entered in, or I didn't, uh, sorry, Nadab and Roman entered into this contract for difference. The price of Bitcoin on December 17th was $22,800. So that is the fixed amount of value that, you know, Roman will receive when the contract is settled. Uh, it'll be as if, uh, you know, Bitcoin remained at that price the entire time. So he's getting the stability aspect of it. Uh, for his use case, he cares that, uh, you know, Bitcoin, I, I don't want Bitcoin price volatility. I just want to have a stable amount of value, like, you know, relative to the United States dollar. Uh, they both put in 100,000 Satoshis of collateral. So uh, going back to kind of if, if people listen to yours and Matt's podcast, uh, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, um, you know, Matt uh, was bringing up the fact that, you know, CFDs or contracts for difference, played a role in like the 2000 financial 2008 financial crisis. And I think long-term capital management back in the late nineties too. Um, this is because they weren't fully collateralized as you were, you know, bringing up. So in this, you know, DLC that we executed here, both parties are fully collateralized. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, you know, 
partial collateralization going on. Uh, they each put in 100,000 Satoshis of total collateral. Um, that's roughly $22.80 by that market price that I quoted you earlier of $22,800. So, you know, you just divide it by a couple tens and uh, that's how you get it there. So again, just to reiterate the fact, Roman wants to receive $22.80 of Bitcoin when this contract is settled. So that's the whole setup process, you know, 100,000 Satoshis each. Roman wants $22.80 of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin price as of that time was, you know, $22,000 and $22,800. So that's the setup process. Let's fast forward a week now. So now we're at December 21st of 2020 is when the actual settlement for this DLC occurred. So, you know, what's the first thing that needs to happen whenever a DLC is getting settled? You are dependent upon the Oracle to actually sign the Bitcoin price at uh, the time of settlement. So uh, Nadav and Roman, they're sitting here, they're waiting around for the Oracle to broadcast the signature that corresponds to what the price was. And the, the Oracle did broadcast the signature. He signed the price of $23,427. So Bitcoin had only, I guess you can say at this point, uh, appreciated uh, in uh, as like 600 bucks, I think it was. So, you know, mild market volatility, nothing crazy that, you know, we've seen uh, since then. Uh, but still, uh, again, Roman's core thing that he cares about is receiving $22.80 of Bitcoin when the contract settles. Um, so, yeah, they take the signature that the Oracle produced and use it to fulfill a Bitcoin transaction that they have locally that uh, pays Roman 97,000 Satoshis. And uh, so he gets 97,000 Satoshis, um, which is really important to note here. He initially contributed 100,000 Satoshis worth of collateral and he's receiving less money back. This is because the Bitcoin price appreciate, appreciated and Roman's number one thing he cares about is having a stable amount of Bitcoin relative to United States dollars. So his end payout is less money than he initially began with. This is the terms of the contract. Uh, everybody, this was all laid out in advance and it should be no surprise to Roman. He's receiving less Satoshis than he began with. That's because Bitcoin price went up. And Nadav, of course, the counterparty to Roman's contract will receive these extra 2,600 Satoshis. This is, you know, what Nadav gets for being naturally long Bitcoin. He receives more money at the end of the day and uh, both people are happy. So that that's kind of like the end to end flow of this process, um, like, you know, set up to settlement and uh, how, how this works. And, you know, I just said a lot of numbers there, probably confused a bunch of people. I'm very sorry for everyone out there. We do have a blog post that's a write up of this you go to our blog, shirtbits.com slash blog, you can find a full write-up uh, of this stuff there. We've done other DLCs too, like one related to volatility, like a volatility DLC that we executed. And, you know, we're playing around with all sorts of these contracts. And it's just really important to note that discrete log contracts are a general purpose sort of cryptocurrency technology. You can do all sorts of crazy things with these things really as far as the mind can imagine or at least how far you can go with your financial engineering skill set 
And, uh, you know, we think it really is a value add proposition to Bitcoin and uh, can, uh, you know, kind of take us to the next leg of adoption. No, I agree. And so let's focus in on the DLCFD contract for difference. And again, it's so. So let's try and describe how people would make this same trade in the past. They'd usually go to BitMEX and if they're one of the stable value in Bitcoin, they would hold a certain amount of Bitcoin and then they go short that amount of yeah. Bitcoin on BitMEX just to hold not that amount of Bitcoin, but uh, a, whatever amount, the amount is. An amount that will stabilize the, the value of their US dollar holdings. So that involves a third party in BitMEX. This particular DLCFD sort of doesn't take out third parties completely, but it does make them less uh, powerful in the terms of that you're, you're depending on an Oracle who's serving potentially uh, clients outside of this particular use case, um, as opposed to depending on Arthur and company uh, securing their keys and being able to, to send stuff out without getting uh, KYC AML slapped on them by, by the authorities. Uh, on top of that, it's SATS native, like you mentioned, like you don't have to create a new token to do any of this. And it's a building block that could lead to stable coins on the Lightning Network. Like it's not possible in the Lightning Network yet, or it hasn't been implemented on the Lightning Network yet, but you can envision a world in which these CFDs become transferable, whether you're, you're passing along private keys to give you access to um, the CFD, maybe something like a state chain could enable that, or um, if you find a way to, to transfer ownership without moving private keys, that's when you have a dam breaking moment where you can just have a flood of liquidity of people going naturally long Bitcoin on one side and others trying to use Bitcoin, um, but also needing needing the, the value that they're transacting to be um, stable throughout the, their transaction process and freaks, whether you like them or not, stable coins have a very big place in this world right now, particularly in the third world where people are using them uh, significantly. And I've said this many times on this podcast throughout the years. Well, I don't personally need st stable coins at this moment. Fiat works fine for me. My cuck bucks work fine for me. I use Bitcoin as my savings account. Um, people are certainly using it, but I, I don't think they'll last forever. I do think we will transition to a Bitcoin standard, at which point these stable coins will be rendered sort of unnecessary. But until then, I think they're going to stick around. Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to nitpick a little bit here, and I'm sorry for that. But I, I don't think uh, you know. Again, using stable coins and DLCs together is again nitpicking here. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, again, DLCs are not a coin. Um, DLCs can give you synthetic exposure and act like. Uh, you know, act like a stable coin, but again, they are not a coin. This is important to pick. Yeah. So like, uh, just be careful, uh, you know, using. You get the functionality of a stable coin with these contracts. And as these contracts become tradable, you'll get the exact same functionality. Yeah. I, yes. I mean, it, it is, it is a difference. There is a technical difference. Like there is no like physical stable coin that's represented by a UTXO uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's just a smart contract that behaves like a stable coin is a better way to kind of think about it. There are people, you know, funnily enough, to confuse everybody even more, 
um, you can use stable coins with DLCs. <laughs> so um, you can use them you know, in a DLC as collateral if you wanted to. So uh, you know, these technologies, again, uh, DLCs like play well with other technologies and uh, you can use them in conjunction with each other. Me and Marty have already kind of talked about using DLCs with the Lightning Network, two separate technologies that are kind of compatible with each other. Uh, using DLCs with stablecoin tech, I mean, again, compatible with each other, not fundamentally incompatible. Uh, DLCs just need some sort of collateral and some sort of, you know, contract behavior that's defined by its, you know, the parties to the contract, and uh, it will uh, act accordingly as, you know, the contract is specified. So it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a nitpick, but it is important to note because there is no physical, like, coin or I don't know, no bearer asset. Is it's a transaction better. at the end of the day, correct? Yes, Just... it's it's a it's a transaction in whatever your collateral is. And, uh, you know, the smart contract behaves based on, you know, your predefined terms. Exactly. So you, you set up a transaction, which actually is an if or function with a bunch of transactions that do. I, I'm probably butchering this, but you set up a transaction has certain conditions. If conditions are met, it releases Satoshi's based on how the parties interacting with that contract want it want the satoshis to be dispersed so you basically but let's not focus on the nitty-gritty and get well, into the weeds if, of if, if i can just jump in here real quick going back to you know no, chris no <laughs> uh, promoting our our blog post uh you know we at the top of our blog posts for dlcs um uh my colleague nadav has you know added pictures like showing the payout curve for um this contract so if you look at the um the DLC CFD one, you see like kind of as you approach zero Satoshis, you see this like kind of exponential behavior. And as you go up further, you see this like flattening of the curve. Uh, <laughs> flattening of the curve means, uh, I guess, something else these days. But uh, uh, so does anyway. the virus is spreading. Yes. Um, so anyway, if you look very carefully at that graphic, if you pulled up our, you know, sharedbits.com slash blog um, and look at this like curve that we have drawn in this image, you'll see like little uh, crosses. You'll see little crosses along the curve. And each one of those little crosses represents a Bitcoin transaction that can be completed by the Oracle if they broadcast a certain signature that corresponds to the price. So if you look at these curves, you'll see like, uh, usually you'll see one like cross on the far left-hand side and you'll see one cross on the far right-hand side these are the two Bitcoin transactions that bound uh, the DLC. So this is like the worst case on the left-hand side, the worst case on the right-hand side, the maximum amount of Satoshis uh, that could be paid to either counterparty. And as you get towards the middle, you start seeing like what looks like a line. There's so many Bitcoin transactions in there that, and they're so tightly compressed together. Um, you know, you start seeing like a, what looks like a line or, you know, so, some sort of, uh, you know, continuous uh, uh, line or continuous curve in this graphic. And like, that's just a bunch of like Bitcoin transactions, you know, pieced together. And like from like, maybe for the people that have a little bit more of an engineering background, um, all of these are just unsigned Bitcoin transactions or uh, uncompleted Bitcoin transactions is probably a better way to put it, um, that can be completed with that signature that we get from the Oracle. So you can think, um, 
uh, in the case of Roman and Nadav, I believe Nadav has this in the blog post and I don't have this written down, so I'm not going to uh, get this right. But I want to say there was like 80,000 Bitcoin transactions involved in the setup process for their DLC uh, CFD. Um, now, only one of these transactions will be valid at the end of the day. Uh, Nadav and Roman both had to store those transactions locally. And then depending upon what the Oracle broadcasts, they can complete one of these transactions and broadcast it to the Bitcoin blockchain. And you know, maybe for some people, alarm bells might be going off here. It's like 80,000 transactions. Like that's, that's a lot of Bitcoin transactions. Like do those all need to go on the Bitcoin blockchain? Uh, referencing previous, you know, Bitcoin drama in the past, I think we fought a fork war over this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting the pitchforks out for this Chris Stewart guy because he doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't seem like a good guy. But um, the, the the important thing to remember here is just one of these transactions will be valid at the end of the day. Uh, and, you know, that, that's the only thing that's going to end up on chain. There is some setup process that's done off chain, but that's the key component. It's off chain and negotiated between the two parties so that they can, uh, you know, uh, have the capability to broadcast these transactions, no matter what, uh, what signature the Oracle broadcasts. Yeah, this particular contract, there's 86,718. I had the blog post up so I can look at it. Yeah, it's good. And so I guess, again, steel man, that is that fuck with mempools? No. So again, it is just kept locally between okay. you and your counterparty. So kind of like lightning, if you, if, um, sorry for the newbies here, but uh, lightning also kind of uses techniques like this where, you and your counterparty on the Lightning Network have a bunch of Bitcoin transactions uh, that you keep locally between each other. However, um, until your Lightning channel wants to be closed, uh, you don't broadcast any of those transactions. They're used as like the, the normal analogy people use is like a, a contract in like traditional law. It's like 90% of 99% of contracts in traditional law are honored and you do not need to go to court and litigate these things. However, in the 1%, you know, there's always somebody that, uh, you know, is going to try and fight the terms and conditions or whatever. And you do need to go to the judge and ask him to rule on something. So um, that's the, kind of the same principle applies to Lightning and DLCs. You need to have all these Bitcoin transactions around locally that just you know about in case there is a dispute or in case that outcome occurs and you can broadcast the correct transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Very elegant solution. Again, I'm the freaks, old or new. This is what you guys are working on. Is something is like probably one of the top two or three things I'm most excited about in the space, particularly in terms of being able to scale Bitcoin into the future and to bring it back to the particular uh, CFD contract contract for difference. And like just to highlight, we made it clear, we nitpicked that it's not a stable coin. It is a pre-constructed transaction contract with two parties. But if that ever gets, that ever becomes tradable, these contracts become tradable or transmissible is probably better. You know, just transfer, transferable. Okay, that's the word I was looking for. You've, transmissible has a different meaning. These yes, days yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you, you create, you, again, you're not creating a stable coin, you're creating something that's better than a stable coin and reduces the risk. So right now, a huge 
point of FUD in the space is Tether, 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 and it's sure. driving the price of Bitcoin. I don't believe it's driving the price of Bitcoin. I believe Tether has some money in a bank account that's backing the tokens. Though I would never trust Tether. I'm they have eight hundred million dollars of it in New York, didn't you hear? Yes. I, who knows? I don't care. I'm not. <laughs> well, the New York the New York Attorney General seized eight hundred million dollars from Tether, so I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's in New York. Some some of it's in New York. Some well, some of that Tether's tied up, it seems. But regardless, you reduce the risk of the Tether Corporation. You're using Sats only, and it's like so Innov- innovative how like it's just like a Sats balance, sort of going back and forth depending on the price for this particular contract. And this is just well, one example of a fractal of crazy ideas and derivatives that could be created. Well, and let me let me make a proposition for people that like again maybe I I know this is a popular view, especially amongst OG Bitcoiners, is like I don't care about all this new technology. I just want to hold my Bitcoin, you know, have it go to the moon, and I'm a happy guy after that. And, uh, you know, or gal, we, or gal, we're including TFTC. Okay. Sorry. God, I'm going to get canceled. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, why you should be excited for this. If you are this OG Bitcoiner that, you know, doesn't really care about new technology and it's like, I'm cool with my sats and, you know, Bitcoin prices going up. It's like, again, we want Bitcoin to be this like neutral settlement, uh, kind of reserve currency of the world. And this is technology that brings that. And, you know, again, I'm a Bitcoiner, but like I just said earlier, this podcast, DLCs are not specific to Bitcoin. It's general purpose technology can be used by any blockchain. Um, And we as Bitcoiners, I want Bitcoin to be that neutral kind of settlement asset in the future, which is why I want to see Bitcoin adopting this and taking a wider share of this like kind of settlement rails uh, pie that's out there and ethereum seems to be kind of winning right now um you know bitcoin doesn't have to lose this fight and you know that's what i'm partially here to promote is you know if we want bitcoin to you know keep appreciating in value if you are this og that's kind of tech agnostic um we shouldn't give up on these battles because there is real value there that's being accrued on other chains because you know Bitcoin hasn't had this innovation so far. So, um, you know, just food for thought. I, you know, I think that's an important thing that especially I find amongst OG friends that I have um, that I, I hear coming up a lot. Slow and steady. I'm confident in the fact that, or not the fact, the, the possibility that everything will come to Bitcoin at the end of the day. And again, process is important order of operations is important but i do agree is there's a lot of i also agree that there are a lot of people who discard the second third layer tech because they only care about number go up and the, the bitcoin as digital gold but as you know because you experiment with the technology closely that's pigeonholing ourselves because uh, the things that this technology enables particularly bitcoin and uh, the layers on top of it is mind-blowing you're talking bitcoin getting infused with some of the biggest video games in the world right now like, yeah that's know. really cool i didn't what the zebedee guys are you know over there working on is great um i i, I have a question for you mm-hmm. though marty can i ask you a question no it's not allowed <laughs> uh canceled um no so i mean are, I meant to look this up before this podcast, so hopefully I'm not getting this wrong. But um, I think for a while now, like 
Ethereum's blockchain fees have been much higher and uh, in total value, I think, is more than Bitcoin blockchain fees. Is that true or do you know that off the top of your head? I think it's fees have gone up on Ethereum. Uh, the amount of gas needed to get a transaction through in a timely manner is considerably high. Um, I do think you're correct in that uh, Ethereum miners, particularly in recent months, have made more U.S. dollar-denominated profits via mining than Bitcoin miners. And just uh, that should scare everybody as Bitcoiners. It really should. I know we like to poke fun at Ethereum and say, oh, yeah, you can't get your transaction confirmed. But, hey, that's because people are paying high fees to get on Ethereum. Um because there's real value to be, you know, had there, they wouldn't be doing the transaction if, you know, it wasn't valuable to them. And since Bitcoin is a deflationary currency, unlike Ethereum, ironically, um, we need blockchain fees in the future to have a sustainable, uh, you know, sustainable network. So uh, I just hope that that trend doesn't continue in the future. And, you know, that sort of flipping especially for the OG holders that, you know, want to, you know, see their Bitcoin appreciate over time. Uh, that, that'd be, that's something I watch as an OG holder. And, and like, uh, I think, uh, you know, we do need to become self-sustaining with fees at some point in the future. And if we don't see that volume increase, uh, it's, it's not good for Bitcoin. I don't know if, I don't think it's fatal, but it definitely isn't good. Um, and we need fees to increase. I think it's, I think they are increasing. Okay, that's good. Percentage of fees of the overall block reward is increasing. I'm pulling up. I'm on Coinmetrics. You got me on Coinmetrics. You have me on. Um, I don't want mean transaction fee. What do I want here? Fees and revenue. Total fees. USD. Boom. Let me zoom in here. Coinmetrics.io. Some great charting. Yeah, actually, they've been neck and neck recently. Oh, okay, good. But Ethereum has, um, it's higher right now. They have crazy fees today. They're making like 20 million as a network. It spiked up pretty high. Yeah, but I agree. I mean, it's, but on top of that, so you have to factor in things. Can I, can I just like, I feel like if you're going to straw man, you'll say the fees are high on Ethereum and that's a bad thing. But if you're steel manning, you'd make the argument that I'm, uh, making, which is why I'm trying to make it, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, they've been battling back and forth. Like, yeah, there's more miners are getting more fees. Steel man. Uh, that's a fact, but how much value is being transacted per transaction per block on Bitcoin considerably higher and is the fact that Ethereum fees are so high a product of the demand for the network or the limitations of the network uh like how many more retail users are using ethereum compared to three months ago i want to say it's a considerable amount where bitcoin i want to say it's a considerable amount either but it may be higher and i think it's just me in nature of the efficiency of the protocol level of each but i agree like we're gonna need a fee market to develop i think there is one developed and i think it has developed in the past i think um i'm not worried about the fee market because of things that you're working on bringing dlcs to bitcoin bringing uh, more robust lightning network capabilities and products to the network 
drives demand for UTXOs. This is my Jevons paradox theory can be applied to Bitcoin UTXOs, particularly for any of you freaks out there don't know what Jevons paradox, it's most commonly applied to the oil and gas market. And the paradox is such that the more efficient you are with a good, uh, the more you're going to consume. So the more efficient you are, the more utility it provides, you would, you would assume that you're going to use less of it because it's more efficient. Um, you're, you're, it's giving you more utility per unit, so you don't need as much. But actually, it's a paradox because you find that you, you end up using it a lot more because it's so useful and you apply it to other um, areas of the economy that, that you didn't think of before that efficiency was found by the market. So I think that can be applied to Bitcoin UTXOs particularly to UTXOs being the gas molecules that the paradoxes apply to in the oil and gas industry or the oil molecules, whatever molecules we're talking about. The UTXOs are the molecules in this case and things like discrete log contracts, uh, the things that Taproot and Schnorr will enable, the things that Lightning Network enables, creates utility and efficiency of UTXOs that will drive demand, that will drive usage, which will drive a fee market. And again, to say controversial things, it, if that appears to be Ethereum's problem. They're, they're making you know stuff that's so valuable that they're seeing this like crazy spike in fees. And uh, again, for a long-term sustainable uh, cryptocurrency network, you want that. I mean, I, I think you want that behavior. It shows that you're providing real value, and you know people are willing to secure your chain through you know burning energy. Let's not get into proof of stake because that's a whole nother can of worms. But uh, you, know, you are burning this energy. You are receiving, you know, fees Listen, for, payment I, for your I, energy. I completely agree, but it goes back to the order of operations. Like I think sure. they fucked up in the order of operations. We're comparing it to PEMDAS. They went straight to addition and subtraction, and they're going to fuck up the the ability to actually solve the hard problem that they're trying to solve because they didn't fine tune for the PEM uh, parentheses exponents multiplication part of the order of operations which in applied to blockchains is a robust protocol level that enables individuals to download free or full nodes and verify what's going on i mean they have objectively failed at that as is evidence via yeah. eth 2.0 like they have to build a whole new blockchain to actually attempt to scale this and so eth 1.0 has failed to scale they have to transition that whole network to a whole new network, mm -hmm. which, I mean, you could speak more Good to this as a, as a software engineer, like how, like, do, is, have you ever seen me make the comparison of ETH 2.0 as like a, a classic second system syndrome example? I, so I have a couple comments here. First off, I did not realize PEMDAS. I, did you learn, like, is that what they taught you in like, because for me, it was, please excuse my dear, my dear and Sally. Yeah. But I didn't realize they, they taught you the acronym or did you just shorten it? Because I it took me a while to. <laughs> yeah. Please excuse my dear and Sally or Pemdas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other, like, I mean, just in terms of like, you know, feeling bad for people. Uh, I, forget, I, I can never say this guy's last name. I think he's the lead maintainer of Geth or, you know, which is the Go implementation of Ethereum. Like, yeah, a serious meltdown, like. That's it. Probably two or three months ago, and you know there was a bug in Ethereum, and uh, you know I I don't know if it was his fault or not. I think it was like a change in the Go runtime, but like you know he's the guy that really takes a bunch of the brunt of like these kind of you know pie in the sky ideas. Is like you know the guy that actually has to implement it and try and get it correct. And uh, 
you know, what they're trying to do in Ethereum is very ambitious. Uh, and if you value conservatism at all, which you probably should with your money, um, it's a, it's a tough sell. I don't know. That's, you know, that's where I always end up on the Ethereum stuff is like, it could really go poof overnight. And, uh, Maybe that could happen to Bitcoin too, but I think it's much less likely to happen in Bitcoin than you know, something like Ethereum. And I guess I forgot what your original question was. I'm sorry for that. No, you asked me. You started asking the questions on this podcast <laughs> whether or not I was worried. And like, no, I'm not worried. So like, like, and I and I would even argue that Ethereum fees being as high as they are again is more of a product of the inefficiency of the protocol they built. Uh, I think that probably has considerably more effect on the fee market than the actual demand uh, for the DeFi products. And then, you, yeah, then you get into like, all right, who's actually using uh, the network and what are they using it for? And I don't think it's a, a touring complete uh, world computer that that is helping starving children in Africa. It's a bunch of degenerate. VC traders and in Wales just trying to stack more sats. Frankly, like, I don't think anybody's actually using it for some game-changing utility that's going to save the world. It's they're playing an arbitrage game between all the tokens that are being spun up. That that is, I mean, as far as I can tell, that is what what is happening specifically the arbitrage thing. But I don't like to pass too much judgment on people that do that because uh, I mean, you can vilify, you know, high frequency traders in traditional finance for doing that, whether, you know, you can be on one side of the spectrum. It's like they provide no value and uh, you know, they're scalping profits from day traders, or you can say, Oh, they're providing liquidity to the markets. Uh, they make sure markets operate efficiently. They, you know, lower bid ask spreads on exchanges and uh, it's still yet to be seen, I guess, I think. Um, where all the DeFi stuff shakes out of. I think there's probably some stuff in there, but again, with all cryptocurrency stuff, it seems like there's a lot of nonsense around, uh, you know, core, like real valuable things. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's tough to wait, especially if you're a beginner, like, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, new listeners tuning in. If you're a beginner, it's very hard to um, cipher through the BS and, figure out, you know, where the signal is. And I mean, you know, I'm sure you, were, were you, it was a 2016, 2017 when, uh, when you first started getting into crypto or am I misremembering here? Uh, that's when I started writing about okay. it. I got into it in college, like 2013. Like, do you remember how afraid you were when you began of just like, what is all of like, this stuff going on, like these people, personality, like super strong personalities that like, you know, act like this is the next coming of Jesus or something. It's like, it's really, a, you know, it's a terrifying field to get into. At least I was terrified when I got into it. It's daunting. Like I said, it's yeah. daunting. Hey, just let it flow over you freaks. Let, let the information uh, float or above your head. You may not get it now, but uh, via osmosis and enough exposure to quality content which chris and i hope this podcast episode is you'll 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 come around one day or another but to bring it back to oh, where is i going to bring it back to oh so DeFi. we were talking about DeFi. like i think DeFi is like another ephemeral phase like so what is DeFi? Or what a, uh, like it's basically turned into another token economy, just another way of architecting this token economy. And I strongly believe 
that Bitcoin was created to get away from that type of currency barter. That's what FX markets, foreign, foreign exchange markets are simply barter for currencies at different exchange rates. Bitcoin is created to create a global, apolitical uh, network that allows you to send P2P transactions that are backed by a token that anybody can use. So I think all the like yield farming and all that bullshit is rendered obsolete. Like the, the main use case is Uniswap, the DEX. Like I think a decentralized exchange doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're exchanging like securities tokens because at the end of the day, all these cryptocurrencies are supposed to be monetary goods. And once you have a free open market competition for monetary goods, which we got when Bitcoin was created, like it's all going to play to power laws. And I believe it's like winner take all to most. I believe that's going to accrue to Bitcoin. So like the even like trying to create company tokens and governance tokens that accrue value, it just doesn't really make sense to me. You're going to pay Bitcoin for goods and services. You're not going to convert into thousands of different tokens to receive a service. Even if it's done instantaneously, there's still that trans transaction friction that exists. It doesn't well, make sense to me. Well, so like going back to our, uh, you know, point uh, the nitpicking I was doing before and I, you know, it's for purposes like this, it's like, I think you considered like discrete log contracts DeFi, right? Yes. And the thing is why I was nitpicking with you earlier is like, there isn't a new token associated with it. However, it is DeFi. So it's like, now we enter into the realm of like, okay, we're doing DeFi, but it's settled in Bitcoin. Like, uh, you know, what, what does that mean? Is that the same thing as like, token DeFi. I don't even know, like, there's not even great words to this, like describe like the difference. It's like, it's like token DeFi versus uh, frictionless DeFi yeah. or something like that. Like I, it's like, you know, the DeFi term is like, you know, this is like an, in, it, well, it's an internal like battle that I have of like, you know, so like discrete log contracts probably isn't like the winning brand for like, you know, what to call DLCs to normies. And so like, say with the lightning network, they call it lightning. It's a great name. It really is. And they don't call it the HTLC transfer network, All right. which, you know, is a mouthful. And that's kind of like where we're at with uh, discrete log contracts currently. It's like, so do we rebrand it and call it like, you know, Bitcoin DeFi or, you know, what, 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 what what's the best term? Because now DeFi has been a poison name. It's like... <laughs> you tacked them. You tacked them head on and you frame. We, we control the framing here. Chris, and we're going to call it frictionless DeFi. The DeFi <laughs> over there has too much friction via token exchange. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to have to pay a bunch of taxes. Uh, you're you're accruing gains and losses from trading. I don't know. Frictionless De DeFi sounds. I mean, I think that's descriptive uh, when you compare the two types of quote unquote DeFi. Well, in the atomic loans guys, you know, they call it Bitcoin native DeFi. Um, you know. Uh, the Lightning Labs team was briefly pushing the Li-Fi, uh, you know, name. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not very good at these, like, naming things. So, uh, you know, we'll have to figure out, you know, a good way to brand it that doesn't, like, instantaneously turn off all of the, you know, maximalists because, you know, with the, the DeFi name means something very specific, unfortunately. Like, we need, like, a term like L2 like layer two or something like that, or I, I, I don't know what, something I'm still pondering, I guess you'd say, and asking you about it on a podcast, I guess. <laughs> frictionless, frictionless finance. I don't know. Take the D out frictionless DeFi. 
BeFi, Bitcoin. Right. Well, like, like, yeah, it's like, like Bitcoin is decentralized finance at the end of the day. Like anybody can get capital, plug in a miner, point that hash at a pool and get Bitcoin in a quasi decentralized. Yeah. You got the pool operator getting semantics here, but like anybody could send me a Bitcoin address and ask me to fund that address. I could finance that and they could provide me a service. Well, that's like the amazing thing. Like I think about DLCs as well. It's like, cause like you just said, like it's as lightweight as I post a Bitcoin address on my Twitter and people can pay me. Like they just need those like, you know, string of characters and I can receive money from anywhere around the world. And like, that's why I like the DLC so much from the Oracle perspective is like, I can send out a tweet that contains this cryptographic information that uh, anybody can engage in a DLC with around the world. I can post a follow-up settlement tweet and settle billions of dollars of, you know, DLCs with those, uh, what is it, like uh, 280 times two, or how many characters are on Twitter these days? I don't even know. But 280. Uh, that, yeah, so like that, that many characters, um, you know, I can, you know, have the power to, you know, really settle a lot of money. It's uh, re- really remarkable, I think. Yeah, it's mind-bending. It's, uh, I don't want to hate on all the other projects, but I, I think it's all noise. I think what you're working on is Signal, and it seems like you're a bit worried that uh, development for these particular products is moving a bit slow, but honestly, like, who the fuck is using this shit outside of... And not to... Uh, not to diminish traders or anything like that, but they're, they're taking advantage of an inefficiency created by the Ethereum platform. Like if it's there, they're going to do it. Does that equate to long-term utility of the platform to the masses? I would argue no, especially considering the fact that they want to transition transition to this whole new network, which has to literally solve the from my understanding, software engineering problems that have not been solved yet, and they're doing it on the fly um, and and selling the world on it. So good luck. Yeah, luck. I mean, I could I be feel, wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be. And that's why I feel so bad for that Peter, I think it's like Sigowski, or I, I don't know how to say his name, but uh, he's going to be the guy that is going to st- stay up many nights without sleep and have to, you know, roll this stuff out and uh it's going to be a painful experience for him but i guess sounds, uh, sounds like a centralized centralizing a central point of failure if you will yeah if you ask me has it has anything else been uh has anything else got your clock ticking in bitcoin lately or in crypto is there anything else you've been following uh, super closely well, or in tr- the mining space i guess i've been just kind of out out of that like is there anything interesting happening over there there's some interesting stuff happening in the mining space we'll have more news on that in the coming months um I, yeah i think mining space is very interesting right now a lot of people buying a lot of miners whether or not they'll be able to execute i'm plugging all those miners in we'll see great american mining specifically uh we're very excited for 2021 and uh our scaling future as a business 
do you know, is this like rumors of Bitmain doubling their miner prices true? Or I think I've seen some talk on Twitter. But it might have even been from you. So sorry if you've tweeted that. And I, uh... No, Amanda <laughs> Fabiano from... Uh, yeah from galaxy digital she yeah she pointed out so yeah that's the price for a6 is very reflexive so it, it tracks the price of bitcoin the underlying token very closely because they're basically call options on bitcoin to be produced in the future and they get more expensive as the price of bitcoin gets more expensive especially when you consider the fact that they are scarce goods too and these manufacturers only have so much space on the foundry floors to produce these hard, these devices so getting uh workable batches to market in a timely manner especially coming out of a bear market where they have less priority on the foundry floors uh creates this this price crunch that you're seeing um depending on your price of power production uh, mining could certainly still be profitable at these prices, probably is profitable at these prices for most people considering the hash rate and difficulty level at the current moment. Um, but be careful. That's that's what I would say. I mean, the, the, the top of the line hardware specifically is, is very, like a 100% increase over the last month and a half is, is considerable. Is there uh, any new competitors entering in the hardware game for mining, or is it uh, kind of still the same old players since you know the last few years? I guess same old players. I mean, MicroBT, which makes the what's miners, is still a relatively new entrant compared to Bitmain and Avalon and um, other producers of the past. Bitmain had their civil war figured out. Jihan's out, and McCree has got uh, the reins now in full control. So we'll see if they're able to recover from the the, the optics hit they've taken over the last few years due to that gamble at Bitcoin Cash. And on top of that, their their products have suffered as well. Their S15s and S17s, I believe, had a very high failure rate compared to the S9s and other models that Bitmain has put out. What's miners new? Yeah, I haven't heard anything. I mean, there's always rumors of a new... ASIC manufacturer coming to market, but until somebody actually has the miners and has plugged them in, has proved they work, it's it's usually it's usually I don't want to say FUD, but nothing to to pay attention to. I saw Avalon miners came out with a, a miner specific for cooling immersion systems, which is interesting. I haven't dove into the specs of that, but yeah, at the moment, in my mind, Bitmain and, and MicroBT are the uh the two big dogs in in the mining industry right now so in terms of asics if you wanted to do a mining startup or sorry uh, not mining startup uh hardware uh you know producing asics for shot 56 how much capital do you think you need <laughs> hundreds of millions billions i would imagine billions um and then saying because you have to buy silicon and then you have to buy space on the foundry floor and then you're competing with the apples the intels of the world there, there, there's the centralizing factor right yeah well that's why we're very passionate about getting the oil industry uh hooked into the bitcoin mining industry i think it's going to be profitable for bitcoin miners for the producers and then long term for the bitcoin network because it highly incentivized capital outlay in foundries that are outside of east asia particularly here yes in north america is there i mean last i knew tsmc was building a plant in like Arizona. Arizona, is that still like going as far as you know? 
I believe so. The last I heard, which was like a month or two ago at this point, they break around in March. I'd have to double check that. But last I heard, scheduled to break around on actually building the foundry. And the Q1 this year should be done by 2024, 2025, I believe, is the last I, I saw. That's a really big deal. I think just not even outside of the cryptocurrency space, like I, you know, for, you know, United States, just kind of uh, national security purposes, like, uh, you know, it's good to, I, with Intel kind of, you know, losing its influence that I guess it used to have. Um, it would be good to have something on shore, I guess. Yeah. And actually people don't talk about it a lot, but we actually have the rare earth metals in North America. We do? Yeah, like people I did not know that they're uh, in New Mexico and Arizona and parts of Mexico, I believe. In the last three years, uh, a huge, um, a huge like trove of these rare earth minerals has been discovered on U.S. and Mexican soil. So, um, something people don't talk about a lot. But we could do it. It's just everybody like, especially in the Bitcoin space, they're like, "Oh, it's impossible. We'll never catch up." It's like shut the fuck up (laughs) you got to start somewhere yes it seems pretty daunting now at this given point in time it seems like a race that will never catch up in but you can't catch up if you don't even fucking try Um, that's true so it is uh it is uh, love them or hate them trump really pushed for that foundry last year specifically and i'm very happy that 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 is happening and tsmc too the taiwan um semiconductor manufacturing company like Taiwan is feeling the the boot of China starting to press down its neck like it did to Hong Kong and they're probably one of the most profitable companies in the world and like one of the most important companies in the world and they seem to be capitalists at the end of the day and they're actively trying to distribute their geographic and political risk so it's a good move for them as well yeah um i've been following just one other thing that's kind of off topic but uh have you been following any of the jack ma uh i guess conspiracy theory stuff and i don't i don't know if it's conspiracy theory or what but it's like it's freaking me out man it's like really they're gonna disappear the you know one of the richest people in the world the most prolific chinese like i mean people internationally and you know who knows what's actually going on? Maybe this is all FUD. I did see it in the Wall Street Journal this morning, so I'm a little bit, you know, more like, ah, maybe something is going on here, and it's not just you know people on Twitter posting about it, but it's like, whoa, that is nuts. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I only know that he said something bad about the CCP, something, uh, maybe added some constructive criticism to the mix, and he has been seen in. A few weeks to a couple months, I believe. I think it's a couple months. Like the article I read this morning was like September. I think the last time somebody has seen him, which is like three months without, you know, a guy that prolific is uh, something else. Nothing would surprise me from the Chinese Communist Party. Um, So I hope you're okay, Jack Ma. Hope you're able to listen to this podcast and buy some Bitcoin so we know you're okay, Jack. Send an op return. Eh, we never actually, we never, I could send an op return saying I'm oh. Jack Ma. You know, it would be epic. Like Julian Assange did this like a couple years ago. He like held up a piece of paper with the Bitcoin, the latest Bitcoin block hash on it. We should get mm-hmm. Jack Ma to do that. That would be, that would be awesome. Yes. Yes. Vitalik had to do that too because the price of Ethereum was crashing after rumors of his death spread, which is really, you don't remember. Yeah. It happened like I... 20, 2016, 2017. 
I do not remember that, but I'll have to do some archaeology after this and see this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he people thought he was dead. The price of ETH was crashing, and he had to like do one of those hash pictures. Um, another example of centralization. But it's been a fascinating conversation. What? I mean, I don't even think we got to touch on everything DLC. Like, so I think to wrap and tie a nice educational and uh to set expectations for the freaks out there like where are dlcs right now on bitcoin where are they going what needs to happen to get them to where they're going and what can we expect in terms of a cambrian explosion of functionality at the protocol level or layers above bitcoin yeah so i mean you can think of like 2020 for dlcs was a lot of heads down protocol level work. So uh, we had great partners, you know, open source contributors, uh, some, you know, some, uh, you don't um, across the world, um, you know, participating in the specification process for DLCs uh, that is out there on GitHub, uh, github.com slash discrete log contracts slash DLC specs. Um, we actually have a spec meeting tonight. We're getting close to being done on base chain stuff or, you know, the on chain stuff. And, uh, you know, 2021 for us assured bits is going to be defined as like, okay, like we've done a lot of internal stuff. We've executed these between ourselves. We're going to start focusing on building tooling. So it's easier for, you know, people outside of the know, so to speak, to actually use these things. So that's going to kind of be our mantra for 2021 is making these things easier to use, uh, better tooling, start thinking about how uh, we can get, you know, liquidity around these things so people can, you know, get in and out of these things easily and looking, um, you know, uh, for uh, interesting contract types that people uh, care about is, you know, at the end of the day, what we want to be doing as well. So um, that's kind of our, our marching orders for 2021. And I guess as we sit here in January, uh, on January 5th, um, that, that, that's where our focus is going to be at. I like your focus. I like your notice the grindstone. Just put your heads down, get shit done. Well, if they ever let us out of our apartments, uh, maybe it wouldn't be so productive. <laughs> maybe we do need another year of lockdowns just so Bitcoin can can get in the hyperspeed. No, so yeah. are you seriously worried about uh, Bitcoin's long-term success being torpedoed by others getting this stuff to market quicker? Uh, no, but I also think a lot of people are resting on laurels in Bitcoin and not actually trying to push the envelope. Um, so I like to be the guy that rattles the cage a little bit and like, hey, have you thought about this? Like if we're losing the fee war, um, that isn't necessarily a good thing, especially if we're a deflationary currency. <laughs> um, just to remind everybody. <laughs> well, the other half of that deflationary currency is the value of it goes up. So you need less sats to attain the same amount of purchasing power as is proven by your CFD with the, the person who's naturally long winning that contract. Uh, Which is absolutely true. And energy is purchased in dollars today, not Satoshi. So your, your argument is correct. Yes. But uh, I wish we had enough time to dive down the DLCs and second layers enabling Hal Finney's. Have you read Hal Finney's vision of a Bitcoin banking system? 
No, I, embarrassingly, I have not. I'm going to have to do some research after this because uh, I feel like I have, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm really missing out. I'm getting a little FOMO about this. Read today's, read today's bent. Okay. Um, it's mentioned in there and linked the post and Bitcoin talks linked in there. Um, because a lot of people seem to be under the impression that, so like, in short, Hal's theory is that to scale Bitcoin, obviously we're not going to have all the transactions happen at, at the base layer that does not scale. You'll destroy decentralization if you try to scale in that fashion. Uh, so you envision a world of Bitcoin banks where uh, you go back to what was a free banking system, which existed uh, in places like Canada in the 1800s and uh, right before and after World War II, I or excuse me, World War One, I, I believe, um, is a timeline there. But a free banking system basically states that you have in a political reserve asset or reserve assets at the time in Canada was gold and silver, and then each private bank can issue their own currency with differing interest rates to their customers, uh, basically gold and silver notes specific to each private bank. And so how you didn't mention the Canadian banking system specifically but the free banking system i believe you mentioned specifically in the post and envisions a world where you have all these private banks that are collateralized with bitcoin and offer different uh, i guess it would be different token currency so this is where i guess i would disagree with hal but i don't, I don't think i necessarily disagree with hal because i don't think he was around when we had things like lightning and second layer solutions and dlcs so i think the point i try to make in the bent today is if that dream does come to fruition. I think a lot of people assume the way it comes to fruition is the incumbent banking system sort of collect, or, uh, holding all these Bitcoin and building the services on top of their stack where I think the native properties of Bitcoin, particularly when you think about a world in which Taproot and Store exist and which Lightning exists, and like do this in a much more decentralized fashion. Um, and the, like the open source software devs are always going to be able to outcompete these closed source um, bank entities, which really don't have great tech. They're still using Cobalt. So that was a yeah, long-winded description of, of the band today. Yeah, I, uh, I used to work at an insurance company, and they have a lot of, uh, you know, not quite a bank, but basically a bank. And uh, they have a lot of, like, this old technology laying around. And, you know, that's uh, going to be, I think, a lot of the story of the 2020s, too, is... Um, how we fit uh, legacy like regulations and stuff. And what does that mean in the crypto world? Like we're already seeing it here, you know, in the early days of 2021, like uh, we talked about earlier, this podcast is like, you know, we got the comp control or whatever it is, comp OCC, uh, you know, issuing regs saying that, oh, it's okay to do stable coins on Bitcoin. Like uh, I think, or Ethereum, of course, like, you know, any public chain, which is I think great news. and. Uh, We'll have to see how those things develop over this next decade and hopefully it's a you know crypto friendly uh environment uh you know one of the things going back to the election it's like you know whenever you have a change in an administration you've got to really worry about you know regressive regulations like coming in with the new administration and uh you know i guess this is a very u.s centric thing but it's like i think what we're seeing so far is been pretty good and i guess encouraging to hear but uh you know we got four years to go so uh, hopefully hopefully nothing crazy happens there there are no attack vectors bitcoin will survive no i as think as, they, as long as they don't get to tsmc right <laughs> all right well tsmc samsung samsung's actually 
and Samsung produces the chips that What's Miner uses. Okay, or, okay. MicroBT and Samsung's in South Korea. So that is, it's not completely concentrated in Chinese-dominated areas of South Asia. Um, but yes, it is certainly a centralization factor. I think it's getting better. I think it will continue to get better. Like anything, there's an order of operations. You have to have these yeah. de demand for this hardware first to, to incentivize people to, to build out these alternatives. It's going to take time for you to sit back, relax, enjoy the ride. Uh, keep following what people like Chris, uh, Nadal, Ben, Roman are doing at Shortbits. Again, I say it all the time. Don't sleep on discrete log contracts and don't sleep on Shortbits and the things that you guys are building. Um, because I truly believe it's like one of the most underrated areas of the whole entire space whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, I love that nobody's paying attention to this. And I hope you feel that too, where it's just like, hey, um, we're putting out good work. People, legit people, I don't want to say that I'm a legit person. People I've talked to that I consider legit are super excited about discrete log contracts. Um, I, I like real G's move in silence like lasagna, and I think the Short Bits team and, and Bitcoiners focus on DLCs are doing that. Well, everybody stay tuned and uh, 2021 will again be more public facing and, and, you know, providing tooling and hopefully, you know, make it a lot easier for people to start playing around and experimenting with these things. So uh, um, hopefully we can be back on uh, TFTC in the you know, second half of 2021 and uh, talk about what we've, what we've accomplished. Yeah, maybe we'll be engaging in a civil war bet at that point, but. <laughs> or maybe even in person. How freakish would that be? That would be incredible. That would be incredible. I, and I'll come to you this time. I'm, I'm due for a Chicago trip. Don't come now. It's terrible. <laughs> well, it is literally like the worst part of it. Eh, next month around this time is the worst part of the year. Well, it's winter and we have everything shut down. So. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to answer my stupid questions and clarify these things for me. And I, I think it's a good steel man conversation too. Um, talking about alternatives, what we really want. I hope you freaks learned something. Chris, where can we find out about more? I know you mentioned the short bits blog, but anywhere else you want to direct the freaks. Yeah. I mean, the, the best thing for general information about us is just our Twitter, twitter.com slash shirt bits. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Marty can provide a link in the descriptions of this, uh, you know, podcast, but uh, you know, that's where we disseminate most of our information and you should be able to find anything uh, relevant uh, from us there. And then my personal Twitter, if you want to follow me is twitter.com slash Chris underscore Stuart underscore five. Both great follows doing incredible things. Chris, thank you for your time. I can't wait to do this again. Yeah. Pleasure talking, Marty. All right. Peace of love freaks. Okay.